When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A new beginning. Let's go. Started back rocking the brown. Ever since we've been knocking them down. Baby says you want to go to the game. Taught her how to say Padre gang. Started back rocking the brown. Ever since we've been knocking them down. Mitchell and Ness with the old school name. All of the homies holler Padre gang. And good day, everybody. Welcome on in. This is episode 153 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden, your host here. Thank you so much for coming in live here on YouTube or listening on the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or watching on the replay on YouTube. I really appreciate it. Uh, the Padres have an off day today, but I figured I still wanted to have an episode out because there are some things to talk about. I wanted to put some grades, some initial impressions on what I've seen so far in the Padres' first 14 games into the season. Uh, they're 9-5 and five right now on this off day. Uh, before they pick up that three-game series with the Dodgers starting tomorrow night with Julio Urias on the mound for the Dodgers and Nick Martinez on the mound for our San Diego Padres. we got a lot to discuss. Don Orsillo was disrespected from his former employer, the Red Sox, and we're going to get to that. Eric Hosmer uh, was talked to by Bob Melvin. It just came out from Ken Rosenthal this morning. He was talked to after he almost got traded but then ended up not getting traded. Uh, they had a discussion and it really instilled some confidence in Hosmer. And it's definitely a whole lot different from what uh, the conversation probably would have looked like and how they did look like with Tingler uh, as the manager. Um, but there's a lot to get into today. Um, we can start off with a little bit quick news, uh, some notes real quick. And that is about 
that one player to be named later in that Twins Taylor Rogers deal. Uh, that name is Brian, Brian, I think, Brian Medina. Uh, he was named the player to be named later. He uh, is the number, he was the number 26 prospect entering 2021 in the Padres farm system. A lottery pick, just like most of player to be named laters are. Sometimes they end up being good. Sometimes they end up being just like that, a lottery pick, and they end up not really working out. Um, but that's the guy that's going to be going back uh, now to Minnesota in their minor league system uh, alongside Paddock and Pagan. Paddock and Pagan, obviously, with the big league team, but that's where they're going with right now. So that was one little news piece. Um, as well today, just happened, the Yankees lost to the Tigers, but the big story there was Miguel Cabrera. He was going for his 3,000th hit. He still is. He did not get it today. He went 0 for 3, struck out twice, and fly out to left in his first at-bat. Uh, the story, though, was there was the eighth inning, and it was a one nothing game, and there was a runner on – there was no runner on first, and Miggy was coming up to the plate, and it was a lefty on the mound. Miggy's a righty. So the Yankees ended up playing the matchup game, and they end up walking Miguel Cabrera – one hit away from 3,000, and it was at home in Detroit. So all the fans there were booing. And this was this was not a typical day crowd. A lot of fans were booing, uh, and they continued to boo after the move backfired on Yankee manager Aaron Boone because Austin Meadows ended up flaring one into center field that scores two extra insurance runs, and the Yankees end up losing 3 to nothing to the Tigers. So the Tigers won. Miguel Cabrera wanted the fans to stop. He uh, motioned for them to kind of stop, bring it down. And he said, look at the scoreboard. They're up three, nothing. Um, and so that's pretty much what happened. It's probably going to be the main talking point today on any MLB network shows or whatever. Um, should have Aaron Boone done that, uh, but he was just playing to win. And I put this out on my personal Twitter, uh, Ben underscore Fadden and my, my viewpoint on this real quickly was, hey, look, Aaron Boone's just trying to win. It's, this isn't like it's September, right, and the Yankees aren't playing for anything or they've already locked, off a, uh, locked up a playoff spot. They're trying to win, and so you can't fault him for playing the matchup game. It backfired, but it also didn't really backfire because it, was, it wasn't hit hard. Uh, the defense wasn't really played. It seemed like Aaron Hicks in center was played really far back, but that's just me. But my view in terms of Tiger fans being mad, those at the ballpark who were booing, I totally agree that you can be mad, right? But I also say that he had three chances earlier, and sometimes usually you get three at-bats in the game, and he had three chances, and he didn't get a hit. So part of it was his fault there. Uh, and But I understand why they'd be mad for that fourth at-bat because they were robbed of a chance in the ballpark. But at the same time, they are going to be at home tomorrow, the Tigers, playing the Rockies. So they're going to have a chance to see it again if they're going to be in town and if fans are going to want to go and it's not sold out. So they're going to get a chance to go see it. Um, and other Tigers fans, if they're mad, those that weren't at the game today, they shouldn't be mad. You get to, go see, you get to see it tomorrow if you're going to go to the game tomorrow or later this weekend, and you're going to get to see it on TV if you're just watching on TV, TV as a fan. So you should understand, hey, you should be you should be appreciative. Hey, look, he walked him. 
we won. He gave us two extra runs on that Meadows uh, RBI single, and that's that. You move on, and hopefully he gets to 3,000 tomorrow. You know, So that, I wanted to touch on those quick stories there, uh, Medina being the player to be named later going in that Taylor Rogers deal, and then an MLB story with Miguel Cabrera, because that's going to be the story of the day in Major League Baseball probably today, uh, the controversy, if you want to call it that. Um, but moving into the Padres stuff, obviously, because this is Talking Friars, a Padres podcast. This is my one-year anniversary of creating this podcast. It was not a YouTube show on April 21st, 2021, when I decided to start this up. Uh, I was, I remember, I think my first episode, I was in the backyard and I was recording it on my phone uh, and just recording it like that. And the first like start of the, the episode, I had it all written out, like what I was going to say. So I was like reading. So I think hopefully, you know, you can appreciate the steps that I've taken from then gotten a lot more comfortable. Um, and I hope you continue to enjoy the content I put out there and you can, you continue to, uh, enjoy the ride. And I hopefully will continue to be doing this for a while. And I love doing this. I love giving my thoughts. I love communicating with fans. Um, and so hopefully I can do this when, you know, the Padres win a world series. Um, again, into the Padres stuff here. So let's start with the Eric Hosmer thing. Uh, Ken Rosenthal today, today said in his latest column, um, when the Eric Hosmer to the New York Mets trade almost went down and it ended up not happening when the trade didn't happen before opening day, Padres manager, Bob Melvin had a conversation with Eric Hosmer. Um, and he pretty much just instilled confidence in Hosmer. And he said that if Melvin had the decision, he would want Eric Hosmer on the team that he wants him here. And he hopes that he's here for good. And Hosmer, really took that to heart and he really loved what he heard from that. And it meant a lot from him because it, it, he didn't hear that message. This was, is what Hosmer, I believe told Ken Rosenthal that he didn't hear that message before coming from that manager's office. And so translation, he didn't hear that at the last year's trade deadline, right? When Hosmer was being floated out and trade rumors publicly and he ended up not being dealt. It doesn't seem like from what, Hosmer told Rosenthal that Tingler had a conversation with Hosmer and said, I want you here. It seems like that didn't happen. It seems like Tingler maybe didn't feel like he should do that, or he didn't feel comfortable doing that, you know, being the rookie manager, pretty much, you know, the first full season, uh, full, full kind of regular season uh, as the Padres manager, because 2020 was a shortened two month season with no fans and anything like that. And I think that proves that he was definitely an extension to the front office. Tingler was a talking, just an extension, a talking head for AJ Preller in the front office. So I'm not really surprised by these comments, um, but as long as Hosmer is comfortable and he continues playing well, I'm going to definitely welcome Hosmer being in the lineup and want him on this team. I'm going to continue wanting that. Um, so it's great news that Hosmer feels comfortable that Melvin, obviously he's a welcome site, a site for sore eyes, if you will, for Padre fans, because they're, they have, they just hasn't had a history of having those experienced managers come in. Right. Um, you know, Andy Green, Jace Tingler recently, they weren't experienced managers coming in. You know, people had to Google their names when they were hired and that's not the case here. Um, so 
everything that you've heard from when he was hired to during the season, spring training, this report with Hosmer saying that, you know, this message that Ma that Melvin gave him really meant a lot to him. Everything that you've heard about Bob Melvin has been glowing. And it's, it's like, I want to hear someone say something bad about him. I've never heard. I haven't heard that. Um, so it's definitely encouraging for me, for all, all the diehard Padre fans, for the casual Padre fans, uh, for the front office, for the players. I think that's great. I, I really do. Um, so that's the one piece of news there with Hosmer. Uh, I do want to move into uh, the Red Sox part of things here and then disrespecting Don Orsillo, our beloved Don Orsillo, Padres TV announcer. So for anyone that doesn't know, Jerry Remy recently passed away. Uh, sadly, he was Don Orsillo's TV partner. So he was like the mud of Red Sox broadcast for 15 years with Don Orsillo. And Don Orsillo was let go by the Red Sox. They didn't renew his contract in 2015, after that 2015 season. And Red Sox fans were mad about it. They you know, made their views known, and they've continued to make their views known ever since. Um, and Don Orsillo was a huge friend to Jerry Remy, obviously. You know, they texted every day. You know, Don Orsillo has said that. And yesterday, last night, the Red Sox had a ceremony at Fenway Park. I believe it was before the game, honoring Jerry Remy. And all the fans got the number two patch because Remy was a former player for them. He got the number two patch that the Red Sox players and coaches wear, are going to wear all season long on their uniforms. All the fans in attendance got that. So they were honoring Jerry Remy. And in that pregame ceremony, Don Orsillo was supposed to, from what I know, was supposed to have a video message aired at Fenway Park. And it did not end up being aired. Now, in fairness to the Red Sox, on Nessun, their TV broadcast, I guess they had an hour show, and they had Don Orsillo included on it. But as for the actual in-the-stadium uh, Jerry Remy ceremony, they did not have Don Orsillo's message, video message, aired. And so Don, we didn't know about this. The Red Sox were never going to say anything, so that's kind of what makes this situation even worse. Um, but Don Orsillo, that's the reason why we know about it, is Don Orsillo tweet, he, uh, tweeted last night that he was supposed to have a video shown uh, at Fenway, but according to him on Twitter, the Red Sox told him his video, quote, would no longer be needed, end quote, for the ceremony. And Red Sox fans were irritated at the team, you know, rightfully so. Don, like I mentioned, worked alongside Remy for 15 years. When Don wasn't with Remy anymore, he still put out tweets mentioning Remy. And I just mentioned that they texted every day. And when Remy passed away, that's what Don said. Don went out to Boston, I believe, for Remy's... Um, funeral for his, you know, ceremonies to honor his life, his passing. And so they were great, great friends. And I believe that Don put this out here, not, not for him, but I know that he was hurt. Obviously he spent 15 years with him, you know? Uh, but I think he put it out here for the goodness in his heart and he wanted it to be known 
the good words that he put out there for Jerry Remy, for one of his best friends in the world. He put it out there for Jerry, and that's why he put this out there and let it be known. And he didn't put the video message out there, but he put all the words that were in the video message out there on Twitter. And so I'll read that to you now as I find that real quickly. And before I read the message, I did want to say that the Red Sox side of it. I'm reading this on a Boston newspaper site. It says that Orsillo recorded a video, tried to send it to the Red Sox. He was told uh, by the Red Sox that it wasn't needed. And the Red Sox explanation explanation to this uh, was that the sending of the video, the suggestion, maybe it was from Don, maybe it wasn't, of sending the video came before the ceremony hadn't entirely been planned. And the decision ultimately was made not to use any videos of speakers at all. And just my initial reaction to that explanation is that's just BS. To not use any video speakers at all. And the reason why they didn't air Don was because no other video speakers were used at all. Like if there was one video speaker to be used, it was Don. The guy that worked with Jerry every day was on road trips in hotels with him all of that for 15 years. And it's not like he couldn't be at the ceremony and he was in Boston. You know, he has a job here with the spot with the Padres. The Padres had a day game yesterday against uh, the Cincinnati Reds. So he was working, so he couldn't be there in person. So he wanted to be as close as he could be to be there in person. So he sends a video message and the Red Sox say no. Now, is that the Red Sox? PR people or someone up top just saying, hey, we know that Don Orsillo is loved here, and we know that if we show that message, people are just going to hate on the Red Sox, just like they have ever since that they ever since we let Don go in 2015. Maybe that was what the Red Sox people were thinking. But it's just totally disrespectful to Jerry Remy because I'm, I know that Jerry would have wanted that video message played, and it's disrespectful to Don because I know how much, and I don't know Don personally, you know, none of us do, you know, probably. And those that do are very fortunate. Um, but just thinking about Don and knowing, looking at Don's Twitter feed and all that, knowing how much Jerry actually meant to Don, Don was hurt by this and Don would have wanted that video message aired. And Red Sox fans wanted it too. You know, they were pissed off just like Padre fans. Padre fans aren't as pissed off as Red Sox fans, but we're mad just because the Red Sox disrespected Don Orsillo. You know, this goes beyond, you know, you being afraid that you look bad, that the team's going to look bad for for showing it because they know that they made the wrong decision to let Don go. You know, this goes beyond that. This goes to personal feelings and to relationships and to honoring Jerry. This is this is supposed to be about Jerry Remy, and it ended up being about the Red Sox themselves. It ended up being about them being selfish and not airing Don's video. That's what it ended up being. And so they disrespected Jerry, they disrespected Don, and they disrespected probably Jerry's family. I don't want to speak for them, but I assume they did as well. 
I, I assume Jerry's family wanted Don's message up there, knowing what they know that a video message was sent and they chose not to air it. So they disrespected him. And I did want to, you know, read Don's message uh, that was on the video message, supposedly, um, that was not aired at Peco or at uh, Fenway last night. So here it is. He says, hey, Boston, Don Orsillo here working tonight in San Diego. I would like to thank the Red Sox for the opportunity to talk to my friend, Jerry. I miss you every day. I miss your friendship, your daily texts, but mostly your laugh. Without you, Rem, I am not in the major leagues today. We worked together 15 years, and the last 13 you battled. I never thought you would lose. The strongest person I have ever known. Thank you to the Fenway faithful and Red Sox nation. I promise you Jerry knew how much you loved him, and it kept him fighting to the, very, to the end. I would like to thank the Red Sox players for wearing the Remy 2 patch this year. It is so very worthy. To Phoebe and the Remy family, I love you all and share in your great pain. Jerry, thank you is not enough for everything you have done for me in my life or my career. I love you, Rem. That was Don's message. And so you can hear through those words how much Don, how much Jerry meant to Don. And it, it just, it pains me that he had to release that message on Twitter and wasn't able to have that message at Fenway. Probably, I don't, I don't know if Remy's family was there, but to have the mess, the, vo the video message on that board in front of fans, hopefully in front of Dennis Eckersley and everyone who was there, who also Dennis Eckersley also worked with Remy to have it in front of all of them. Um, that would have meant a lot, I'm sure to everyone involved and the Red Sox messed it up. It, it just sucks. Um, so I did want to mention that. Um, I mean, it's hard to transition from that, to be honest, uh, because it just, you, you just, it hurts for Don, you know, it hurts for Jerry's family, like I mentioned. Um, but yeah, just, I don't, I don't know what the Red Sox were thinking there. You know, that's the ultimate, you know, mess up, F up, if you will. That's what that is. All right. Let's move on to some more Padres things here. Um, it's hard to move on from it, but all right. Here's the video. This is a. Oh, oh, stop, stop, stop. Okay. Here's a video breakdown that I had today of jerks and profiles. So Eno Saris went on. Well, I explained it in the video, so I'll just show the video, the breakdown, and you'll hear the audio for the podcast audience. But this is a Jerkson Profar breakdown, his offensive outburst to start the season, and if he will be able to continue it and why he might be able to continue it. So I hope you enjoy this breakdown, and let me know of your thoughts on the breakdown and if you think that Jerkson can continue what he's doing. So here is the breakdown. Saris was on Ben and Woods earlier this morning, and he talked to the guys about why Jerks and Profar is off to the hot start that he is. Here is that audio. Heard stories about working out with the Tatises in the Dominican Republic during the offseason, and now I'm kind of wondering whether 
whether this is a new and improved Jurickson Profar or just a Jurickson Profar who's gotten off to a hot start and is going to regress to being the player we've seen the last couple of years. And you, you've got some thoughts on that, Ian. Yeah, because I was, I was just looking uh, through the leaderboards for this segment, and I noticed that the Padres are top five in run score. They're, uh, they're getting on base. Uh, the power is iffy, and they're last in the big leagues, I think, in barrels. Barrels are sort of a measure of the track, how well you hit uh, the ball in terms of exit velocity and the right angle. Which is uh, tough because Manny Machado is among the leaders, which means the rest of the team is really not, not hitting a lot of barrels. Right, and so then I was like, oh, well, uh, you know, the thing that I thought was a big problem was the bottom half of the lineup, a couple positions like first and, and last I thought were, were going to be a problem for the, the Padres. And then I saw, well, oh, man, uh, Hosmer and Profar are off the hot start. But if you poke under the hood of, like, the source of the hot start, uh, they're pretty different. So Hosmer is basically, uh, he's swinging at more pitches outside of the zone than usual, so he's swinging more often than usual. Profar is totally different. There's a, there, if you look at the stats that become meaningful quickly, and that one of those is chase rate, totally different in chase rate, has completely changed his, his, uh, his chasing. And he, he doesn't swing at balls low anymore, low outside the zone and low. And um, the other thing that you see is barrel rate. He's had as, half as many barrels this season already as he had all of last season. So he's, he's hitting the ball with more authority. And then you look at the heat maps, and what you see is that Profar, I think, is targeting the high fastball. And, and you know, Adrian Beltre once told me, if you target the high fastball, the low breaking ball looks worse. And so I think that's sort of what's coming together is that, you know, you don't expect a guy to hit the ball a lot harder this far into his career at 29, but you can hit the ball further and higher if you target the high fastball because that, that ball goes further and higher when you touch it. That's what Adrian Belcher said. I just have to touch it. And so Profar is just touching the high fastball and spitting on everything low. And I see enough process differential here. Like, you know, I think that this guy is going to be an above average player. I think he's going to be really important to shoring up uh, and lengthening that lineup. And uh, and I think, I don't know, I think they've gotten a little lucky because <laughs> you wouldn't expect this. But uh, at 29, he's a different player. All right, so getting to what Eno Sarris was saying here, Jerks and Pofar are really targeting pitches in the middle and up in the zone. Here's all of his home runs. First one, middle away. So this one is middle. It's not down, it's not up, but it's middle, and he really focused on that pitch and attacked it, and that's ended up being his first home run of the year. Here's a second home run. This one, as you can see, is that higher pitch that Eno's talking about Jerks and attacking. Here it is again. It is middle high, definitely more up than his first home run, and he's attacking it. Look at that bat flip. Mm. And so there goes the celebration, and then here's his third home run at Petco. This one's middle. So he's more focusing on that middle pitch and up. Again, middle, there it is, home run. There's still the low pitch that he's hitting. It's just He's not hitting the low and in and the low and outside pitches, according to the charts, the heat maps. And then here's his last one. This one's middle, little middle up, little outside, and he attacks it. Home run, fourth home run of the year. Middle, he just attacks it, just like Eno said.
All right, my mic was muted there, sorry. That's the uh, breakdown of Jerickson Profar's offensive explosion to start the season. And so what Ina was talking about there with the zones, the heat map zones, and I was talking about that on the breakdown that I had that I posted earlier today that I just showed there, was Jerickson, what I saw from those heat maps was that Jerickson, he was swinging and hitting the pitches middle and up. But what he wasn't doing, what he isn't doing, is he isn't swinging at those pitches that are down and in and down and away. He's still swinging, from what I saw on those heat maps, at pitches that are down and mid middle. So middle of the plate, but they're still down. He can, he'll, he'll, he's still going to swing at those pitches. But he's not swinging at pitches that aren't you're not going to do much with. So I think that's really what you're seeing. And if he continues with that approach, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to continue doing what he's doing. Now, will pitchers change their approach to jerks and profar? That very well might happen, and it probably will happen. They're going to look at video. They have people on their teams, their employees on the team that go through and look at video. Um, but if pitchers pitch him down, breaking balls down, and he doesn't swing at them, and they think that they're just going to keep doing that because he's eventually going to do it, he's eventually going to swing because they're not going to throw him pitches up, then he'll just take walks, you know? Um, or he'll just keep battling, and pitchers will eventually have to throw him fastballs in the zone. So I think it is sustainable if he sticks to that approach of really looking and searching for those pitches up and middle and laying off those pitches down. Now, if he strikes out looking at pitches down sometimes, I'm for that because, you know, as long as that means that he sticks with the approach that he's on and doesn't swing at pitches down and he keeps swinging at pitches up, you know, where he likes the pitches and where he's having success and he just keeps with that approach, you know, he's not chasing at pitches. Like it seemed like last year he was really, you know, I commended him last year for the good at bats that he was having but he was swinging at pitches that were outside of the strike zone, you know, and fouling those pitches off, just barely getting, you know, contact on those pitches that were like outside of the plate, not strikes, but he was just trying to stay alive. And I did commend him for that. But now that I look back on it, it was kind of like he should have just had a better approach probably at the plate. But again, that was, he wasn't like starting every day. So now that he's starting every day, maybe he's more comfortable with changing that approach because he knows he's probably going to be in the lineup every day. So those were kind of my thoughts, my breakdown that I did earlier today. Hopefully you guys enjoy the breakdowns that I do uh, ever so often here on this Talking Fires YouTube uh, channel. Again, hopefully you can hit that subscribe button, turn on the post notifications so you don't miss any content that I put out, any videos that I put out. Uh, but I did want to touch on that. Some comments coming in here on some, some stuff I talked about earlier today. Uh, Gil here says, Miggy on verge of making history. Yep. One hit away from 3,000 is what he is right now. He was not able to get it today. He went 0 for 3, struck out and two, had two, struck out twice and had one flyout. Had that flyout to Joey Gallo and left in the first, in his first at bat. Uh, Rome Loves Dan says, uh, Classy move would be the Sox sending Orsillo a plane ticket to be there. 
having the Padres let Mud do a game with Tony Gwynn Jr. or Sweeney. Yeah, I agree. Um, having, you know, like Jesse, like I know in the past they've had Jesse Agler hop over to TV, do the do a game with Mud, because Don Orsillo does do some national games uh, later in the year, and Agler ends up doing TV games. And the Padres radio network did just hire Sammy Levitt, who called minor league games, so he does have experience calling games, so he could call radio games if they want to. And if they don't want Bob Scanlon calling the game, like I know he did, I believe, last year some games. So those were options, and I agree that would have been the classy move, but, you know, the Red Sox, the attention, they this move was about them. They made it about them, and unfortunately, they – took it from the viewpoint that they knew they were going to get heat for having, you know, if they showed Don with that message, they wouldn't get heat for that. They would have got heat from fans because it, it would have continued to remind them that Don was great and he used to be there and now he's not there and now he's with us, right? So it is their loss and our gain. Um, but yeah, unfortunately they made it about them and they thought that this isn't that, you know, this situation, it was never going to get out and it ended up getting out. And so I guess that's their fault, you know, and props to Don for putting it out there. You know, he didn't make it about him. He made it about Jerry. You know, he put out, he, he laid out the circumstances and said, unfortunately, the Red Sox didn't show my video. They didn't, they said it wasn't needed, but then that's all he did. You know, then he just, and then he posted what he was going to say. He posted it so that Jerry's family and fans and everyone could see that because he knew that he knew the impact that that would have. Um, and I think fans, Red Sox fans, baseball fans, at least got the joy out of seeing Don have a message for that Jerry, for Jerry's night, you know? And I know this is a Padres podcast and I talked about the Red Sox there a lot, but this does involve our TV announcer, our beloved Don Orsillo, and I, I really wanted to touch on it because he got disrespected, and the Padres are never going to disrespect him, and I, or I hope not, that they're never going to disrespect Don, and he's going to be here for the rest of his career. So it's their loss and our gain. All right, let's move to my last thing here, some early impressions on the 2022 Padres, 14 games into the season, 9-5 and five start, they have that off day today, Dodger series starting tomorrow. And I wanted to put out some grades, what I'm thinking so far out of this team. And so while well, the outfield, the infield, uh, the catching position, starting pitching, the relievers, the bullpen, um, the coaching staff's good. You know, Mike Schilt, I'm not going to give a grade to the coaching staff. Uh, good as I was expecting that. Uh, Mike Schilt, you know, he did have some bad sends. Uh, he didn't really like the situation with Antoine Richardson, but he then apologized. So that's that's all done. Uh, but I'm not going to critique the coaching staff. Mike Schilt, yeah, he had that bad send. The only critique I'll have, I guess, is that he had the bad send for Voight with that whole fam Voight slide, Stevenson slide situation. Um, but he shouldn't even be the third base coach, you know. Matt Williams is going to take over as the third base coach starting tomorrow against the Dodgers. He had that hip replacement surgery and he was recovering and it seems like he's good to go now. And so he's going to take over and be that third base coach 
as he was supposed to be at the start of the season, but obviously the hip replacement surgery got in the way. So without further ado, let's move into the team. 14 games in, I'm going to start here with the outfield. Uh, I would give it a C right now. And the reason I'm not giving it a C- minus is because of Jerks and Profar. Jerks and Profar has been amazing. Uh, you know, we went into the season. We went into spring training. You know, you know they missed it on Nelson Cruz. I know he's not an outfielder, but a power hitter. They missed it on Seiya Suzuki, Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, Jorge Soler, Kyle Schwarber, Eddie Rosario. A lot of guys that they did not sign, right? And... They brought in Matt Beatty, and it was like, okay, we're going to have this platoon-type thing with Profar and Beatty. You know, maybe they make a move. They have Brian Reynolds out there floating on the trade market. Maybe they do that. But we thought, hey, we're going to need a left fielder. And that ended up really not being the case as for now. He has four home runs. He's hitting really, really well. I just had that breakdown that I showed. It seems like he knows what his approach is. He has an approach going into the game, going into every game. And he's sticking with that approach. And so right now, the left field position, you got to give an A to. You know, they're paying him $7 million, and he's playing like a $20 million player right now, you know? And again, it's early in the season, but that's what that's the circumstances right now. So that's why I give it a C and not a C minus. The C comes in with Grisham and Myers, you know. Grisham seemed lost. He seems pretty lost right now. I know he's done pretty, I think uh, he had, he hit a home run, I believe in that red series, right? Do I remember that correctly? Let me look real quick. No, it was the RBI double, my bad. Uh, Grisham had that RBI double yesterday. He seems to get, he's seeming to find something at the plate, right? And so that's encouraging, but for the most of these first 14 games, he felt it seemed like he was lost at the plate. And he was benched for Jose Azokar the first two games of this Red Series. And there's a reason for that. So that has to knock on the outfield grade. He thought he would bounce back, and there's still time, obviously, to do that, but not off to the best start. And then Will Myers as well. You know, you have to factor in the injury. I know that you, you don't want to hold injuries against people, but. He wasn't available for some of these games in these first 14 games. And then when he was available, you know, not really including the last couple games of this red series where he had that double that was almost a home run off the right center field wall and all that. He's played okay defensively, but he also was lost at the plate to start this season, just like Grisham. So I'll look up Myers' stats here real quick. Myers has a zero war so far, 42 at-bats, no home runs. Uh, he's hitting 190, no stolen bases, OPS barely at 500, and a really good OPS is 1,000, so he's a long way from that. And I'm not expecting him to have an uh, 1,000 OPS, but it should be higher than it is. Grisham's OPS, 525. He's batting 152. Okay, Grisham does have one home run, my bad. Uh, so I, I wasn't imagining something. He does have a home run. Uh, seven hits, a negative .1 war, no stolen bases out of him. He did have that one home run robbery. Okay, so, yeah, that home run did, that he did have, now, now I'm re remembering when I, he, he hit that. A lot of games, they're just blending him right now. Um, he hit that home run in that day game, Saturday, that Saturday day game, where he robbed a home run, and then he hit a home run later, right? 
Um, so, okay. But Grisham and Myers, not off to a, they just did not get off to a great start these first 14 games offensively. So that's where the C comes in. Uh, and it should be a C minus if it wasn't for Profar, you know? And you could make the argument that it could be more like a B minus because of how good Profar has been. But those other two really dragged it down. So I'd, I'd give it a C. As for the infield, I'll give it a B minus. Manny, A, A plus, MVP of the team so far. He's been great. Eric Hosmer, his offense has been great. You know, he started off, he's the April Hosmer. I, I can't complain really much uh, with his offense. His defense, though, hasn't been stellar. You know, he, he's still, it's still, I don't understand. Maybe an infield coach can come on and tell me and explain why. Hosmer, when there's a ball, any ball, it seems like that's to the left of first base. If you're looking at the infield, looking at shortstop, say, and Kim is fielding a ball about to throw it to him or any infielder, he lunges back into the base path to catch the ball. I don't understand why he does that and he doesn't just go get it. There are some where if it's a high throw, like Manny has a high throw or something, and he has to go do that, but there's some where he, like, instead of going and trying to pick it, he steps back into the base path where the runner is going into the base path to go catch the ball, and that really sets himself up for injury, sets the Braves runner up for injury or the opposition's runner up for injury, and it takes more time for him to get the ball into his glove, and the runner while he's stepping back and the ball is taking a split second more to get into his glove, that runner could be safe. So it's some of that stuff where I just don't understand why he does that. So the defense still isn't great out of Hosmer, in my view. Cronenworth hasn't gotten off to such a great start this year either. He's been, you know, kind of slumping to start off this year. Uh, he does not have a home run to start off this season either. Uh, right now he has a 0.9 war, but that's offensively. And he has five RBIs, but no home runs, 46 at bats. He's hitting 174 OPS is 578. So it's also below 600 like Grisham and Myers. So he's not off to the best start either. His defense, the RBI, their sack flies, I guess those are definitely helping him in the war category at 0.9, the defense as well. He's made some great defensive plays. Like I just mentioned. But because he's slumping, Hosmer's defense isn't too great. Kim is okay. Abrams is, is struggling offensively, believe it or not. I know he had that home run on the home opener, but he's been kind of struggling offensively. His speed helps. Kim's speed helps as well, but they're okay. I'm going to have to give it a B minus. And Manny is definitely – Manny and Hosmer offensively, in my opinion, are really carrying this Padres offense infield the infield part of the Padres offense the first 14 games of the season so that's the grade I'd give the Padres infield catching position I'd give it an A Jorge Alfaro he's fitting pretty well throwing out some runners Austin Nola I mean you got to give him props right he has stayed healthy and if he stays healthy right you feel like he's going to have a really good impact on this team. The knock on him is he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. You know, his OPS is above 650. It's at 675. 
He's, he's getting on base a third of the time. His on-base percentage, 333. He's hitting 263. He's driven in seven runs. He has a stolen base. He's hit one home run. He's fitting really well in that leadoff spot. You know, this past Cincinnati series, he had that single that set up the Machado two-run home run. Those Machado home runs would have only been solo home runs in that Cincinnati series, and they ended up being two runs thanks to Nola. So he's getting on base. He's sitting really well in that leadoff spot against left-handed pitching. And as long as he stays healthy, like, I don't want to – I can't come in here and expect 20, 30 home runs out of, out of Austin Nola. What I'm going to expect out of him is I want him to stay healthy, and if he stays healthy, I'm going to expect him to get on base, be good defensively, communicate well with the pitching, with the pitching staff, and that's just – if he does that – I got to give the catching an A because the catching for me, be good defensively, throw runners out, command the pitching staff. Well, you know, just don't make bonehead mistakes and get on base. That's what I want out of Noel. Alfaro, get some power, have some power, hit some home runs, be good defensively like he has so far this year. What I've seen out of him in a Padre uniform, even dating back to spring training, do that. And I'm going to give it an A. I don't have like huge expectations for the catching position, but that's just me. What I've gotten out of them, I'm satisfied with. So based on that, an A. And that's why, like, I'm, what I've gotten out of the outfield, two thirds of the outfield, I'm not satisfied with. So it's a C. The infield, two, like a half of it, yeah. Uh, but I, I would like the, the shortstop and second base positions offensively to be a little bit better. But that's just me. You can agree to disagree. Let me know what you would grade these categories. Uh, but moving on to the catching position, I or excuse me, I just did the catching position. I'd give those two an I'd give them an A. Starting pitching, I'd give an A. Shamanaya has pitched really well. Um, Musgrove quality starts every time out. Darvish had the one stinker, but other than that, he's pitched well, and they're putting the bullpen with the exception of probably two games. And every team has at least two losses on the year, every team in baseball. So that's not that big of a deal for me. Okay. But with the, you know, outside of that, the starting rotation is putting the Padres in the position to win. You look at the rotation, okay? Musgrove has a 1.89 ERA. Manaya 1.42 ERA. Darvish at 6.28, but that's because of the San Francisco start. You take out the San Francisco start, he's given up, I think, four earned runs. Mackenzie Gore, a 1.74 earned run average. Martinez, 4.50. He had that one stinker against the Braves, but the other starts, he pitched well. He's grinded. And even if you count the brave start a four or five ERA for the five starter, considering that he's probably going to end up being a long man. If Clevenger and Snell can come back and be healthy and produce and be starters, like we expect them to, you're getting a four or five ERA out of your five starter and a long man. I'm going to be happy with that, to be honest. You know, if I, if I'm going to come into the opinion, like I did into this season, thinking that this contract was an overpay and they paid too much for Nick Martinez. I have to be happy with a four or five ERA and him keeping the Padres in games most of the time so far. 
So I have to maybe I'll give the pot I'll give the rotation an A minus if we're going to count it, because you do have to count the clunkers, the couple clunkers. But other than that, it's been fantastic. And then you that leads you to the bullpen, which also has been fantastic. Taylor Rogers has not given up a run. Five innings, five saves. Steven Wilson has not given up, or he's given up uh, one run in six appearances, a 1-4-2 ERA. Pierce Johnson, he's been pretty good. Three runs. Robert Suarez, he has he's he uh, had a rough start, but he's settled down. Craig Stammen had a rough start, but he'd settled down. Chris Matt was great that Sunday game, right? Lamette has pitched pretty well. Tim Hill has not given up a run. Luis Garcia has not given up a run. So overall, I have to be encouraged by both. I'll give both the starting pitching staff and the relief staff, the relievers, the bullpen, an A-, minus, both of them. Because I have to count the clunkers that both of those groups of the pitching have had, you know, Darvish and Martinez, and then the bullpen opening day, uh, that Lamette and Johnson game where uh, at Mackenzie Gore's debut. So I got to give some clunkers there, but other than that, they pitched really well. I'm happy with the way that they've pitched and I'm giving them an A minus just like I'm going to give the catchers an A, A minus. Um, so those are my grades. I'd give the outfield a C and, a lot of that's thanks to Profar. The infield, the B minus, thanks to Manny really propping that up. Hosmer's offensively propping that up. And hopefully the next grading that I do, whenever that is, uh, the infield will be more up to an A and A minus once Cronworth gets going. And I, I think he will. I'm not worried about him. Catcher, A minus. Um uh, and then the pitching staff as a whole, A minus, starting staff, A minus, relievers, A minus. So give me your thoughts, what you would grade. Uh, if you're listening to this on replay on YouTube, give me your thoughts in the comments. If you're listening to this podcast, at Talking Friars, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, anything, uh, give me your thoughts there as well. Um, but those are my grades. I like what I've seen so far. Nine and five, the Padres are, and you got to be happy with that. Now, I'll close this episode out with my expectations for this Dodger series. I expect the Padres to not get swept. I'll say that. I think it will be hard to get the series win. I saw a lot of people on Twitter, their expectations for the Padres will lose Friday because Nick Martinez is on the mound, but they'll win Saturday and Sunday um, with Manaya and Dar Darvish and Manaya going Saturday, Sunday. I think that Sunday is going to be hard to win. I know Manai has pitched good, but Kershaw on the mound, um, just, I don't know. I just have that feeling that Sunday is going to be hard to win. Just one of those, you know, late game things there, but that's just me. My prediction, I mean, I want to be optimistic to say a Padres will, the Padres will win the series, uh, but for some reason, I feel like it's going to come down to Sunday's game. And both starters will pitch well, Manaya and Kershaw. In the bullpen, someone in the Padres' bullpen gives up a couple hits. Maybe that's just the pessimistic me 
Um, man, I really want to say that the Padres are going to win the series, but something scares me about the Dodger offense being just better than the Padres offense. And I don't know, Profar, someone getting to Profar this series, you know, him not performing like he's done. I don't know. That's just maybe that's just the pessimistic Padre fan in me. I obviously want them to win, but I don't think they'll win the series. I think they'll win Saturday. But then it's baseball. That's just hard. That's why I'm just a lot of things are going in my brain about what could happen. You know? I want to say the Potters are going to win the series, but I, I don't think they will. I think if Tatis was there, it would be a different story, but I think that's going to hurt as well. You know, the Dodgers bullpen is still good, even without Jansen. Um, so I'm going to say they lose the series, you know, get at me in Twitter, whatever, you know, get me at, get at me in this comment section of being Dodger loving. I'm not, but that's just realistic expectations. That's what I feel like is going to happen. Um, but as for the pitching matchups, it's going to be a good series. Arias against Martinez on Friday. I don't, I don't think they've named a starter for Saturday's game. I can check real quick. Sunday is Manaya against Kershaw, like I mentioned. Just checking Saturday real quick here. Saturday... 5.40 first pitch, no starter named yet for the Dodgers, according to MLB.com. And then Sunday, like I mentioned, Kershaw Manaya. So, man, I really want to say the Padres are going to win, but I just don't think they will, expectations-wise. You know, maybe it's just me. I just don't want to get my hopes up. Maybe that's it, you know. Hopefully they do, though. I'm going to be really excited if they do, I'll tell you that. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode. This episode sponsored by Gaglion Bros, famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries, located inside Petco Park all season long, just like always. Main, their main stand is across from the Valley Sports pre- and post-game show booth with Mark Sweeney and Mike Pomerantz right down the third baseline there. Located Mission Gorge, Point Loma. There's two locations outside Petco. Gaglionbros.com to view their entire menu. Our addresses, phone numbers, all that good stuff. Great cheesesteaks, the best cheesesteaks and garlic fries in town. Gaglion Bros, famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries. So that'll do it. Ben Fadden, your host. We talked about a lot of things. Miggy for the chase for 3,000. Expectations for the Dodgers Padres series this weekend. I'll be back for the pregame show tomorrow uh, and postgame reaction, like always. Talked about Don Orsillo being disrespected. Just an unfortunate situation that happened there uh, with him and the Red Sox there. It was the Red Sox that did it. Let's make that clear. Um, Eric Hosmer with his comments about Bob Melvin, the player to be named later in that Taylor Rogers deal, Brand Medina being named. Um, and yeah, that's the episode. Gives And then gave some grades on the first 14 games out of what I've seen out of the Padres. So hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you have any recommendations for content that you want me to include in these videos, in these episodes. I hope you enjoy the breakdowns that I'm doing. Um, and have a good night, everyone. Have a good day. Stay safe. See ya. Go Padres.